to the pseudo show. I asked Eric to come back on the show to talk about the recent release of Red Hat Enterprise Linux 9. All that and more on the pseudo show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, where business meets open source. I'm Brandon. Now, before we get into the show, just a little housekeeping. I just wanted to thank the community for the feedback on the last episode called Giving What We Can. I was surprised by the feedback, quite frankly. It was very positive, and I'm very glad that it was very well received. I haven't selected the project for the first donation. If you have a suggestion, please reach out either on the forum or contact me directly through email or social media. If you haven't already subscribed to the Pseudo Show channel on YouTube, I'll be posting some new content there soon, so make sure to get subscribed. Today, I asked Eric Hendricks, also known as the IT guy, to come back on the show. Eric is a technical marketing manager at Red Hat for Red Hat Enterprise Linux, which is the topic of the day. Eric also hosts some great content for Red Hat, including Rel Presents and Into the Terminal. This episode of the Pseudo Show is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Head on over to do.co slash tux2022 to get started with a $100 credit. DigitalOcean has a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. Predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love get support at every stage of growth with simple, powerful comp cloud computing. Get growing at DigitalOcean. As a listener of the Pseudo Show and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of the Pseudo Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and business organizations to store, share, and sync sensitive data. Bitwarden is an open source password management tool whose feature set rivals any other tool on the market today. Not only is Bitwarden open source, it is regularly audited by security professionals. You can get started for free at bitwarden.com tux and plans start at just $10 per year. Thank you to Bitwarden for sponsoring the pseudo show and Tux Digital. Hey Eric, thanks for coming back to the pseudo show to discuss the exciting release of Rail 9. Or really from like from everything I've heard with from a roadmap perspective is Actually, what's exciting about the release, the Rel Nine release, is to me is how unexciting it is. <laughs> Mostly from like a developer perspective, like I'm obviously getting new some new things. A lot of the frameworks, the Ruby and PHP, and then the databases that ship in Rel, they're pretty 
much the same as what's in rel eight. So there's not a huge impact from a developer perspective, but obviously there's going to be some changes that the Linux nerds are going to absolutely love. So as a, as a technical marketer, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of of two minds of this because the, the sysadmin in me says, Oh, this is so nice. There's, there's not all that, there's not all that many changes. There's not any like huge feature that I have to now go in and dive in and spend hours trying to figure out. Um, and then the technical marketer in me as well is going, well, it's real nine. This it's, it's a nine point. It's, it's, it's a dot release. We should probably do something big. We should probably have some big announcements and, you know, we should make a big deal out of, out of this new major version. And it's like, uh, <laughs> so I can tell you that I'm really glad that rel nine is finally out there. It's GA. You can go download it right now because I can kind of move past this whole situation of what, do, what do we market? <laughs> it's like, well, it is what it is now. <laughs> I actually think that that is the thing to market, even though it's not super cool to market, but the, to me, the feature is it's a new release of rel. It's uh, just as stable as the last uh, eight releases since Technically, there was never a REL 1. So this is actually the eighth <laughs> release of REL. Uh, so it's uh, to me, it's very exciting uh, that it is unexciting. There was big changes like REL 6 to REL 7 with uh, mm-hmm. SystemD right yep. now changing from Upstart to SystemD. So that was a huge upset, obviously. Uh, another one going from 7 to 8 was the uh, application streams which obvious mm-hmm. or modularity for the Fedora users in the audience, but you know, unfamiliar with the rel terminology Th- this one, it's nice to, that there's not a huge upset in terms of technology change to me. That's the, that's the feature. The, the, the life cycle really is the VIP for, for this release. It, it really is the, the parts that makes rel nine so important to understand and to, and to utilize because uh, when uh, we, we've got an episode of rel presents coming up and one of the things that uh, we, we really want to drive home is that rel eight is still full support for another two years. So rel eight, uh, 8.6 just came GA a few weeks ago. And so rel 8.6 has pretty much all the same, like, marketable features as rel 9 does uh it's still got podman 4.0 it's still got um still got some of the new system roles that i'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about here in a little bit but uh, uh, the main difference between 8.6 and 9.0 is uh some of the underlying operating system components like the kernel itself uh rel 9's got a newer kernel and of course some of the supporting libraries and and compilers and that kind of thing are a little bit newer in 9 than they are in 8.6 but other than that, from like a feature and an operations perspective, 8.6 and 9.0 are practically identical. Let's actually expand on that just for the audience that just may not be familiar with the RHEL lifecycle. Uh, sure. I'll, I'll quickly do a qu- just a quick history and I'll let you talk about the new one. Sure. So RHEL always had this inconsistent lifecycle. Like RHEL... <laughs> But to put it mildly, like, for right. example, like, well, not inconsistent life cycle. Rel life cycle has always been 
essentially seven or 10 years. It changed a few years ago from seven to 10 years. The release cycle, I should say, actually, the release cycle was always never predictable. It was never predictable. Like there was at least, I think it was three and a half years between uh, six and seven, almost four years between seven and eight. I'll let you comment on this, Eric. What what was the huge change in the, the release cycle for RHEL? Well, and I, I think the problem you're looking for is what in the world is the difference between maintenance phase one and maintenance phase two? Looking at you, RHEL 7, what... And you're right, it was three and a half-ish years, and minor releases came every nine-ish, six to nine months-ish. And one of the things that uh, that I would talk to customers about is, who wants to talk to their manager about an ish release? Um, so with, with RHEL 8, Red Hat did away with all of the confusion and released a completely new cadence, which... Uh, is why RHEL 9 is such a big deal. Because with RHEL 8, we set forth a cadence of three, every three years we'll have a new major release, starting with RHEL 8. And now we're seeing that with RHEL 9. We'll see it again in three years for RHEL 10. Um, and then uh, we'll do minor releases every six months. So we've got one in the spring. We've got one in the fall. We had 8.5 in November. We had uh, we had 8.6 and 9.0 right after uh, right after Summit. Uh, <clears throat> so with that, you know that every six months there'll be a minor release. It's usually there's usually no breaking changes between minor releases. It's usually just a yum update. Sorry, now a DNF update uh, to get from one version to another, uh, one minor version to another. And so now the focus has shifted to. How do I get from major version to major version? And that's something where, as a longtime Fedora user, I'm really excited to see finally coming to RHEL because seven to, six to seven was technically possible to do in-place upgrades. Seven to eight was pretty smooth. Eight to nine, I haven't tried this yet, but it looks so smooth. The, the intelligence that's built into the tool around, you have this third-party repository or you have this package set which could potentially give you an issue. So go to this access knowledge base article and make these couple of changes, disable this repository or make this kernel module change and hit go. And you come back 10 to 20 minutes later and all of a sudden your rel eight system is now running rel nine, which then instead of having what it's instead of having three, instead of having seven years of rel eight support, now you have 10 years of RHEL 9 support. And uh, <clears throat> and so going from RHEL 8 to RHEL 9 is going to be smoother than ever. We've got modularity, which we call application streams in, in Fedora to Red Hat terminology. We've got in-place upgrades. We've got convert to RHEL tools. So it is so much easier to deploy RHEL 8. And now it's even easier to deploy RHEL 9. And so come RHEL 10, I, I, I'm predicting a, a little bit of uh, a little bit less fanfare around major releases uh, it's it's going to become just a number uh, the the more we do this one of the advantages I see for a lot of customers at least that I deal with is the uh, that there will now be two major releases always in production phase one. 
So what that means is that's the phase of the real life cycle for the first five, I think it's five and a half years five. where new, it's just five. Okay. So mm-hmm. five year for the first five so, years of its life, yeah. we'll be gaining new features and new. So that was, that was kind of one of the other major changes we made to the life cycle is now there's five years of full support. So hardware enablements, new features, new versions of, of workloads, that kind of thing. That's the first five years. So, and then after five years, you go into, um, you go into the support life cycle. There's no more support one, support two. It's either full support or maintenance, uh, maintenance support. Maintenance support is where RHEL 7 is right now, uh, where RHEL 8 will be in a couple of years, where there's no new hardware enablement. There's no new uh, major feature changes um, within that major version. It'll get bug fixes. It'll get uh, security vulnerability patching, things like that. Um, and then uh, I hope none of our systems have administrators ever have to use the third uh, piece of the life cycle, and that's the extended uh, support, which is a which is going to be two years. It's going to be an add-on cost to the rel subscription. But if you've got an application that is set to retire within six months, you may not want to try and have to migrate it. If you have hardware that's going out of out of uh, out of warranty or out of uh, out of support in you know, nine months, you may not want to spend the time and effort. So there are use cases where the, where the ELS, the extended life cycle support, uh, the two year add on is makes sense, but hopefully within place upgrades getting easier, uh, and more straightforward, hopefully ELS isn't something that you'll ever really encounter in the field. Then on top of that, we've standardized on extended updates, uh, releases, EUS releases, extended update. And what that is, is, Typically, your even-numbered minor releases, so once a year, we actually support a, a longer life cycle for uh, minor releases. So uh, you saw this with uh, with 8.4, now again with 8.6, where that is actually supported for, I think, two years. And, um, and so if you only want to upgrade your RHEL systems once a year, you could actually skip the fall release and only do the even numbers in the spring. And those are the versions that usually get uh, support from uh, some of our vendors like SAP, or those are the ones that are targeted for some of the government certifications like uh, DISA-STIG or PCI or HIPAA. Um, so there's all these different layers of, of, of functionality within the lifecycle itself now. And we're using much more specific numbering, five years of full support, not three and a half to four-ish whenever we get the minor release out. It's it's really helpful for customers and members of our community, but it's also so much easier on the engineering team because the pressure's off to, do we cram this feature in at the last minute or or do we just wait? You know, we can wait six months and put it into the next minor release because we know when it'll be out and we can take the extra time to make sure that it's that's crisp, that it's bug-free as possible. It, it really makes life easier all around, unless you're in marketing and you have multiple major versions now to support in, in the wild. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. I'm, it's not... I'm being facetious, of course. It's it's job security. Let's 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 call it that. It's job security. <laughs> One of the features that I don't I've never really taken full advantage of in RHEL is system roles. Hmm. Uh, can you uh, give the audience just anyone as may not have heard of system roles a quick overview of what system roles are? Definitely. So within RHEL. 
we're helping to tell the customer story. Uh, of course, that's marketing jargon for you might use RHEL to build out a greenfield project or um, to modernize an existing application onto a, onto a modern operating system. Um, so these are problems, these are real world problems that systems administrators uh, face. And one of, the pro one of the major problems that we see in the industry is uh, problems maintaining like-for-like -like systems. The issue of maintaining configuration, especially nowadays where you have multiple systems on multiple platforms, potentially public-facing or private-facing, I mean, think think about the number of platforms that we support these days as as a sysadmin. You've got bare metal, you've got virtualized, you've got private cloud, something like OpenStack or VMware. You've got public cloud. You've got uh, and then you've got uh, kind of a newer platform that's gaining traction that Red Hat refers to, or that the industry actually is referring to as Edge. So you've got all these different platforms. RHEL is really good about being a platform, a, an operating system, a foundation of your tech stack that you can run anywhere on, on countless different configurations. But how do you maintain that? How do you maintain your basic system configurations across such a diverse fleet of, of servers? That's where system roles comes in. System roles are basically ways to manage system services, and we're even getting into workloads now uh, to uh, with nothing more than like a 15 to 20 line Ansible playbook. So think about this. With RHEL 9, we introduced a firewall uh, system role. So now you can install the firewall service. You can set firewall D to start on boot. And you can say that this, this system is going to be a web server. So we need port 80 and port 443 available. You can set all of that within a playbook, within uh, as variables for a playbook and you can run the firewall system role, and within seconds, you can have that distributed out to anything that's tagged as a web server. Expand that out one level further. Uh, I got to do a webinar a couple of months ago uh, where I was uh, I got to talk about Microsoft SQL Server, which is, is a long time um, developers, 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 you know, Microsoft era sysadmin. Uh, was was just bizarre. I, I actually installed live on on air on a webinar Microsoft SQL Server using a system role. And this this blew my mind. And, and I work on this stuff all all the time from from a marketing and technical perspective. But this was so cool to do live because it probably took about 10 minutes to install the dependent packages and to fill out the the variables for the system role. But in the end, I was able to accept the, the licensing agreements. I was able to, I was able to specify that this is a trial license versus like a premium or a standard support license. Uh, I was able to have Microsoft SQL Server uh, set to install. It could uh, set up uh, encryption keys so that all database traffic, if if I were running like within a cluster, would be encrypted communication. And was even able to open up the the uh, the management port in the firewall so that I could remotely administer uh, Microsoft uh, SQL Server databases. Like I said, it took about ten minutes to kind of put all the pieces together. But when I actually ran the system role, when I kicked off the playbook, it took fifty-seven seconds. I went from having a vanilla RHEL eight X box to having a fully ready to deploy 
ready to use Microsoft SQL Server instance in 57 seconds. I mean, it is it is awesome what what you can do now. And I could I could tag multiple systems and I can cluster them together. I can deploy system roles to configure the firewall to set up web console to to set my to set uh, encrypted traffic on my NTP server connections. I can do all of this stuff using nothing more than these tiny little Ansible playbooks, and I can deploy them anywhere within my infrastructure. System roles are so cool. What's the latest uh, system roles for RHEL 9? Firewall's definitely one uh, that I'm excited about. Uh, another one that I can think of off the top of my head is you can now configure uh, the service, or the, sorry, the socket and the authentication methods for the web console. So if you if you use some of the rel upstreams, um, you you're probably familiar with the cockpit project, which brings a lot of systems graphical systems administration tools under a single uh, utility. So you can actually configure and deploy the web console using a system role. Uh, there's a couple of others that that spring to mind, like. Uh, the the new SQL Server uh, system role that I was talking about. There's there's about six or eight or so that that come out, and there's new ones every minor release since since 8.0. So if if the service that you're interested in doesn't have a system role yet, it's probably on the roadmap somewhere. And there is a blog series that that I'll make sure to to link uh, to to Brandon in the show notes to to cover all the system roles that exist. I also have a links to all the current available system roles in the show notes as well. Isn't there a lab for that, Eric? Uh, there is. In fact, that's that was part of our uh, uh, part of our releases. We just did a big migration on our lab environment for uh, for lab.redhat.com. But yeah, there's uh, there's a system roles lab as well. Great. I'll have a link for that as well. Based on what you've already said, Eric, the theme main theme for rel 9 is mostly release consistency. Yeah. Is you know this is really that first release where we're really seeing that. Was there any worry about making it out on time? Um, not that I saw. Um, there, there's usual there, there's kind of the usual release apprehension that comes with with any product. But I don't think that having multiple majors in full support right now was was added anything more to it. Um, in fact, this this within the rel team this was the this was as close to a non-event as i've ever seen uh, here at red hat or or even before at gitlab it was it was just kind of business as usual there's there's the usual you know feature uh questions of is this feature going to be ready or not no we'll, we'll okay fine no big deal we'll push it off till the fall or hey we got an we got an urgent request in from someone upstream to include this feature so let's let's go ahead and, and work to to certify it for rel so i mean it 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 really was as close to a non-event as as you could get with a major release that that's good you know just seeing how product works like we did our you know our careers episode with you uh, i think it was now either one or two ago but the yeah you know, it's you know we i believe we hit on this a little bit is like just that releasing a product there's always like this you know working on building that hype and in terms of like the internals like if it's a non-event that just means it's going to be a good release and everyone's working together and we're going to be you know uh, very happy with the end results uh, i'm trying to keep the red hat off for this but i am pretty excited about rel 9 <laughs> so 
so uh, another question uh, around this, uh, around uh, the release I had is, and if you can't answer this, that's fine, Eric. I mean, it, th- this is a this is a loaded question, and <laughs> just because it's new and and like they're and we're probably still trying to figure out how all this works. I mean, not just as a company, but also from a community standpoint. So this is a, the first release where we actually got to see a community development model around Enterprise Linux with uh, CentOS Stream 9. Yeah, like I said, it might be too early, but have you seen or, or heard how the CentOS Stream community has em- influenced the RHEL 9 roadmap or even like few, or even now um, uh, the minor releases are already starting to see the influence for uh, RHEL Next? I, I knew you were going to ask me about this. Uh, even even before I looked at uh, at the show notes for today, but uh, for me personally, sitting in the Rel BU as part of the marketing team, I haven't really seen a lot of influence yet. But what I see is a lot of excitement. Uh, what I see is a lot of potential. What I see are a lot of long term conversations taking place, um, where maybe nine for Rel doesn't doesn't really have much of much of CentOS Stream's fingerprints on it. But what I do see is a lot more open and encouraging conversations between engineers and community members. Of course, some engineers straddle that line and are both. But, um, but what I'm seeing is people that are heavily involved in the community that say that I think Red Hat Enterprise Linux should address this use case. And engineers going... We agree, and as a matter of fact, there's a SIG for that. There's a special interest group for uh, for CentOS Stream. In fact, I, I know you work in telecommunications, Brandon, and there's there's one, if not several, CentOS Stream special interest groups that are designed to address the issue of how does an enterprise operating system support modern 21st century telecommunications. So I know that those are forming. I know that those are gaining gaining traction. So if there's a feature that you're missing in RHEL, if there's a use case that you feel RHEL is missing, CentOS Stream is, is not a company line. I, I know that's you know not saying much for someone who whose job it is to present the company line, but uh, but as, as an open source advocate, as someone who started his career as part of the community, you know it's just it's it's out there. It's happening. These conversations are going on every day, and they're happening in public. I mean, you can go out to uh, to to CentOS Streams repository on on uh, on GitLab, you can you can communicate with issues. You can open Bugzilla requests. And what's great is now all this development is out in front. It's not it's not looking in the rearview mirror with with what CentOS Linux was, but instead it's what's coming to Rel. Well, look at CentOS Stream. Special interest groups are actually pretty interesting to me. I'm actually trying to actively participate in one. It's a uh... One of the things that I'm uh, very excited about is just finding the time, <laughs> right? To to participate. I mean, I have so many things going on. I'm, you know, obviously at my day job. I'm running this podcast, and I'm also developing new content for elsewhere, and uh, for, for well, specifically for Pseudo Show Labs. And uh, so, time is limited. I'm also doing other development work that uh, in the, the community that I haven't been active, you know, I haven't been active in years. It's been 
probably almost a decade and this is the most I've been active in open source development in a long time. So seeing these uh, special interest groups in CentOS is really interesting to me. I, I'm really interested to see what the hyperscale SIG is doing. That's the one I'm trying mm-hmm. to participate in right now. The NFE SIG, that, which has been kind of, uh, I don't want to say stagnant, but it, it, I just haven't seen a ton of uh, work in at least in, in a little while. The other one I, I, I think is really interesting is the uh, container SIG, which mm-hmm. works closely with like uh, with the the OKD community, Podman community, etc., and the vir- virtualization SIG, which works very closely with OpenStack, the Zen project as well. That's XE, the original Zen source uh, hypervisor, mm-hmm. and uh, other uh, projects around virtualization like uh, Kubevert. So yeah, it's uh, really cool to see these things working uh, and influence and starting. I'm not going to say it has, but mm-hmm. may, I wanted to ask someone who actually seeing you know is actually seeing it uh, inside of the company. I I see it a little bit, but I don't have that the same view that you do. I don't think I know we have a roadmap leading up to Rel 10, and I know we have an idea of what Rel 10 might look like but the more momentum that sent to a stream and a lot of these sigs in particular are getting the more i think our idea of of rel and rel 10 is going to have to change with the community and that's that's not a bad thing at all i mean from from a community member to to you know one of the vps of, over rel uh, i think all of them would tell you this is this is exactly what we were hoping for when when red hat back stream Switching gears back to the to the release, I know one of the big focuses of RHEL 9 is Edge. I know this isn't exactly your area. I, I think you can still answer this question. This one's a pretty softball. <laughs> <laughs> what makes RHEL for Edge different from a traditional RHEL system? Y'all know me by now. I, I like to put my fingers in everything, and I get to do a little bit of that. Uh, in, in my in my current role, so with with Rel for Edge, it's it's a developing space. It's it ties into a lot of a, a lot of what we're doing in systems automation and configuration management. Uh, it ties into um, ties into a lot of communication technologies, things like like five G. It ties into uh, ties into concepts of you know, having a distributed uh, application model versus uh, versus having everything in a localized store in a data center somewhere that could be, you know, halfway or completely uh, from one end of the country to the other, but having localized nodes—that—that's—that's that's what Edge is. It's having having distributed application nodes across a country or across the globe or even uh, across a, a metropolitan area. Thinking things like smart cars and smart smart city grids and that kind of thing. And so Red Hat Enterprise Linux for Edge is Red Hat's uh, approach to how do how do you use RHEL to solve that particular use case? And there's a couple of major uh, there's a couple of major uh, differences between traditional RHEL between the traditional operating system and RHEL for Edge. For one, RHEL for Edge is based upon uh, RPM OS tree. So you don't go in and make direct changes to the operating system like you would with with traditional RHEL. What it does is it sets you sets you up to be 
more consumable towards things like containerized workloads, um, being able to run on smaller platforms, uh, thinking like ARM devices, which uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux now supports uh, system-ready ARM platforms. Um, so looking at both smaller devices, something that could fit in in a storage closet or or much larger ARM-based server farms, being able to then deploy just about anywhere onto multiple different types of platforms, uh, uh, server platforms, really makes RHEL for Edge appealing, especially when you think about not having to make, you, you don't log in in the traditional, I'm going to SSH into the server, I'm going to install these packages, I'm going to make these configuration changes. By its very nature, RHEL for Edge is designed to be much more automated and with with rel 9 one of the major things that's that's coming in different forms is being able to manage your your rel for edge easier we're looking at zero touch provisioning we're looking at uh better integration with red hat insights to get proactive uh, reporting and uh, vulnerability assessments we're looking at integrating with podman's ability to run auto updates or auto rollbacks um, so that even if you have intermittent contact with these servers, at least you're you're getting constant communication back as to the health of those systems. So it's it's still a space that's developing, and it's going to continue to be part of the rel story for quite some time. But it's 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 also one of those spaces that no one really has figured out what is what does the solution look like. But rel for edge is definitely, um, of course, I may be a little bit biased, but rel for edge is definitely one of the leaders, I think, in having solved that issue or is in the process of solving that issue. Edge will likely least some deployments would be managed from uh, Red Hat Software's service platform, Red Hat Insights. It's not just used for Edge. This has been part of RHEL for some time. Just for the listeners that don't know what Insights is, one of the things that I personally think that this is not talked about enough. So can you just give the listeners a quick overview of what Red Hat Insights is and why it's important for a RHEL deployment? Well, I, I definitely agree. And I know John Spinks, the, uh, the technical marketing manager for Insights, would definitely agree with you that this is something we do not talk about enough. Um, and and it's, it's, it's an unfortunately well-kept secret, it feels like. Uh, within Red Hat Enterprise Linux is if you have a RHEL subscription, you have insights. It doesn't cost you anything more. And it it's maybe two commands to set it up. Or better yet, you can just use Image Builder. And uh, when you create a template, you can have it set to automatically register with insights on, on deployment. So in some cases, it's zero touch provisioning. And what insights does is it's a proactive monitoring and um, and reporting system. It doesn't make any changes to your system on its own. It just pulls in data and then compares compares the, the performance, compares the health, it compares the list of packages and and what what modules you have enabled, and it compares that against what has to be hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of support cases that have been that have been opened as part of Red Hat support, and it looks at what are the fixes? What system? What what types of bugs might your system be vulnerable to? Um, in fact, Red Hat Insights not too long ago actually helped Microsoft Azure fix, find and identify, and build a fix for 
what was their big vulnerability not too long ago? Uh, there's a there was some kind of privilege es escalation bug in uh, Microsoft Azure, and Red Hat Insights helped them identify it, and Microsoft and Red Hat worked hand in hand to develop a fix for it. And Red Hat Insights was one of the first, if not the first, tool to be able to identify the fix. And what's what's great is it's not just a reporting tool, it's not just a set of performance graphs, but it it uh, it has compliance features to let you know when a certain, uh, there might be a conflict in certain configurations, or it, it looks at uh, PCI or HIPAA or cert security certifications like that to let you know whether or not your system's compliant. So it's, it's, not, just, it's not just a reactive tool and it's not just, uh, it doesn't just sit on the sidelines and tell you what's, what's going on with your systems. In fact, it will allow you to generate Ansible playbooks that could then be run either through the Ansible automation platform, Red Hat Satellite, or deployed uh, manually or downloaded automatically to your systems to run these playbooks so that you can actually apply fixes right from the Insights console. Um, in fact, if you go to lab.redhat.com, there is an Insights Advisor, I believe, is the service. Uh, there's an Insights Advisor lab where you actually walk through, here's Here's a known bug, generate a playbook, deploy it, and then look at that system's uh, newest check-in. And it'll show you kind of a before and after of you ran this playbook. It took all 30 seconds to run, but here was the vulnerability before, and now that vulnerability is gone. Um, so it is so incredibly powerful, especially when you think about how systems administrators used to handle one or 200 servers each. And now we're being asked to manage 600, 1,000 servers across multiple different footprints from public to private cloud, bare metal to virtual machines. Red Hat Insights, I, I like to say, is like the, the sysadmin that never takes a day off, never shows up late, doesn't come in hungover after the big game. It is, I mean, it is a force multiplier that I, I so wish I had as a systems administrator. We have a tool in on the cell side that allows us, and I think support has access to this as well, where they can see how many insights hits systems have in, um, uh, from in a particular customer. I showed a customer their insights hits and I'm like, these are the improvements you can make. This system that you, that you registered is still vulnerable to X, Y, Z. I don't remember which vulnerability it was, but I thought that was pretty cool. Like that, I, striving value and it's uh it's just included as part of the subscription which is uh really neat you know i mean if i if i were running a startup or if i was cio at a company i mean insights on its own i, I feel would pretty much justify the expense of red hat enterprise linux subscriptions it 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 really can make that much of a difference with your systems administrators yeah absolutely it's uh like I said, it's the unsung hero of the Red Hat ecosystem. Mm -hmm. uh, the well, specifically the, the what it, well the Red Hat Red Hat ecosystem. Not not like obviously <laughs> like our ISV partners, but like right, what's right. part of pure play Red Hat software. So you know, as being part of Rel Satellite and uh, OpenShift, etc. Probably should have just asked this right at the be beginning. But is there anything that you are super excited about this release of rel 
that everyone should go check out. Does surviving Red Hat Summit and the release of Rel9 count? No, <laughs> it does not oh. count. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, there's a couple of things that come to mind. The first is Podman 4. Podman 4 supports uh, DNS names and uh, dual stack support, so your containers now can have multiple IP addresses assigned to them. So I do, as, as kind of the hops guy, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but the idea of having a container with multiple IP addresses that I can then reference by host name sounds really powerful when it comes to building a distributed application. Yeah, it, it's a couple of things there. So specifically for dual stack, it, what's cool about it is it now supports both IPv4 and IPv6 addresses. And then on top of that, I believe, I need to go double check, is that you can attach it directly at, to your network as well and have multiple interfaces on the container. That's been a feature inside of uh, Kubernetes and OpenShift for quite some time, utilizing Multis. I don't remember mm. exactly how Podman does it. So I need it. That's something I need to uh, go read up on again. If I knew you were going to say Podman 4, I would have uh, immediately made sure to have an answer on hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I... And probably one of the most beneficial features for uh, for Podman, and this isn't explicitly on on Podman four, but it's it is a newer feature, is the automatic update and rollback of container images. The use case for a large enterprise makes total sense, but but uh, as someone who also has a, a growing home lab, uh, I'm just glad that I don't have to update my Plex container by hand anymore. <laughs> Anything else besides Podman that you're super stoked about? Uh, so, so my buddies over in product marketing or product uh, management PMs uh, on the engineering side would not forgive me if I if I went and talked about Rel Nine without mentioning the Image Builder service. This is really cool. It's built on the same uh, is on the same Red Hat infrastructure as Insights, but what it does is it takes uh, it takes the Image Builder application that you can tie into Web Console and removes the need to have a subscription for it, removes the need to stand up hardware to manage image builder. Instead, what it does is you let Red Hat manage the underlying infrastructure and you go in, decide what platform you're going to deploy a workload to, whether it's physical, you can generate an ISO with a baked in kickstart file. You can generate um, a QCOW2 file to run on OpenStack or, um, or, or on local Linux machines, if, if your developers have uh, copies of, of your, your, uh, your operating system template to develop against, um, you can spin up uh, AWS templates or uh, Google Cloud Platform or Microsoft Azure uh, templates that you can then share out as, uh, as, as your golden image. So once you pick your platform, then you can actually create users using Image Builder uh, assign SSH keys. You can you can determine a package list. So if if you know that all of your systems need some kind of network diagno diagnostic tool like like Dig for DNS or or some of these other or or some set of packages like I use Vim Enhanced and Tmux on pretty much all of my systems. So I can I can build those into my images. 
and then deploy them anywhere. Yeah, we've had we've had tools like that before, tools inside of RHEL, and of course there's m- many other tools outside of the Red Hat uh, development ecosystem mm-hmm. that I think are really cool. Yeah, and and Image Builder is kind of the latest in, in that generation of being able to manage manage your golden images. Uh, your sort of your blessed build, if you will. Looking at the roadmap there. Uh, there's some exciting features. Like most recently, we deploy, uh, we uh, released the feature to have customized file system layouts. So Image Builder before 8.5 would only support a large root partition. Everything went into the same partition. Now you can deploy non-LVM based um, file systems. So if you need a separate file system for slash temp or slash home or slash var or slash log, you can set up multiple non-LVM partitions. So logically, the next the next iteration of Image Builder should have uh, LVM support in it as well. But what's really excited about exciting about the hosted service versus the built-in uh, application is that the built-in application is tied to the RHEL release cycle. So only every six months will you get these new features. The hosted service uh, will actually be on a much faster cadence, if not four times a year, maybe more frequently. I don't. They haven't really stated what their uh, what their plan to release cycle is going to be, but it, I do know it's going to be much faster than RHEL. So if you want to be able to use utilize Image Builder to manage your 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 uh, technology stack to manage your templates across a, a wide range of platforms, Image Builder hosted service is and if if you have a RHEL subscription, you can use the the hosted service. And you don't have to spin up a separate box to manage all your images. They're just there. You just go to cloud.redhat.com or uh, sorry, console.redhat.com. And it's it's there. It's ready. Eric, anything else you want to close us out with? And I think one of the last things to mention about RHEL 9 is more about RHEL itself than about RHEL 9. Um, not only has engineering moved closer to the community with stream support, but RHEL and Red Hat... Um, are trying to be more involved visibly in the community. Um, so I know uh, I, I know there's some confusion when uh, when when I stopped uh, hosting Pseudo Show, but one of the reasons for that was uh, was to help get some of these initiatives off the ground. So we really took a, a good long look at at our YouTube channel. Uh, I literally spent hours upon hours uh, going through and cleaning up ten year old videos and and pulling down duplicate videos and that kind of thing. And we, we, we rehashed our, our live stream presence. We stood up a, a rel Twitter handle. Red Hat Enterprise Linux is trying to be more uh, accessible, not just from a technology perspective, but also from, from an engineering and community aspect as well. Uh, so if, if there's anything else to, if, if, if this just gives you a taste of what Red Hat Enterprise Linux and what rel 9 looks like, um, you know, join us for Rel Presents. Join us for Into the Terminal. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Mastodon. Um, there's just a ton of content that we're we're producing right now, and uh, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to sudo.show/discuss. If you'd like more of the Pseudo Show, you can find it over at sudo.show and on social media at Pseudo Show Podcast. You can catch more awesome content over our network partners over at textdigital.com. You can support the show on Patreon at sudo.show slash Patreon. There will be a link in the show notes. Eric, anywhere you'd like to send our listeners? 
As always, you can catch me at IT Guy Eric on social media or at my website, itguyeric.com. You can follow me on most social media at dbrandonjohnson or my website, open-tech.net, and new content at tuxdigital.com. Thank you so much for listening to The Pseudo Show, where business meets open source. Until next time. <laughs>